This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This is House of Commons Ottawa related, but also China related. I'm sure I hear from people, I know the other shows do, how come you're not talking about CSIS anymore and where's the rapporteur, uh, former Governor General David Johnston. He's supposed to present an initial report by May 23rd. 20 days from now, supposed to be hard at work as to whether we need a public inquiry. I mean, what do you think based on what happened yesterday? Stephen Chase from the Globe and Mail uh, reported there was just an amazing meeting yesterday after CISA's head, David Vigneault, told conservative MP Michael Chong, you and your family have been targeted by the Chinese government. Now, you've got people, um, they're often called uh, truanons. Look, there's people that are going to back Pierre Pauly Everett no matter what he does. Jagmeet Singh no matter what he does. And Justin Trudeau is no different. He's been prime minister for eight, seven and a half years. They'll back him. Some people will. But the some people were asking yesterday, well, what kind of targeting was it? Does it matter? It's your family and it's the Chinese government. I'd rather that not be the case if that's me and my family. Why have they done this, you ask? Well, he voted and sponsored a parliamentary motion condemning China's conduct in uh, in certain uh, areas and provinces to do with the Uyghurs as genocide. That's actually a pretty common opinion, but but China didn't like that he spoke out about it and he said it. He's the conservative foreign affairs critic. It's reared its head in the House of Commons yesterday, and uh, and Justin Trudeau basically acknowledged, yes, this happened. Members of Parliament can't vote in the interests of Canada, while their family members are threatened as consequence of those votes. It is unacceptable, as the Prime Minister said, which is why it's so strange that he accepted it. His government produced a briefing note which exposed these threats to the MP's family two years ago. And yet the diplomat that worked to punish a Canadian MP's family is still in Canada when the Prime Minister could have expelled him. Why didn't he expel this diplomat? It is absolutely unacceptable for any Canadian to be subject to uh, intimidation by a foreign power, uh, particularly threats against family and against uh, families of members of Parliament. That's why, uh, as the reports came out this morning, I immediately asked officials uh, to follow up on these uh, on these reports uh, and to get to the bottom of this. Uh, I also asked uh, for outreach both on the political and uh, the uh, official side to the uh, to the member in question. Uh, we are going to continue to make sure uh, this is taken extremely seriously. Okay, take it seriously, but do something. I mean, I bet, I, I bet that this is just a a, a pretty clear cut case now of it happened. Ceases said it happened. Chong was told it happened. He believes it happened. And yesterday, the prime minister. Uh, told Chong in in the court, in in the House of Commons, I should say, it it looks like it happened. Okay, so how about an apology? How about saying sorry for once? How about a full public accounting of what happened? How about all the journalism school questions? Who, what, when, why? How about that? And you get the diplomats out, period, plain and simple. A serious government would do that. The conversation continued in the House just false. He didn't immediately take a, take action. He took action after the media found out about it. He's, his government has known that a Canadian MP had his family threatened because that MP voted for human rights in the House of Commons. He knew about that 
For two years, he did exactly nothing. Furthermore, the same diplomat that orchestrated these threats against the MP's family still works in the Toronto Consulate of Beijing, even though the Prime Minister has the power to expel him. Will he expel him today? Uh, we followed up immediately uh, with top officials uh, to get all the information on this file, on what happened, on who was informed and who was not informed, to make sure uh, that we are following up in an appropriate way. This is absolutely unacceptable, and it shouldn't have happened. So today's a big day, but I hate to say I've got low expectations here, especially because Marco Mendicino, who's the public safety minister yesterday, wouldn't say when he learned Beijing may have targeted Michael Chong's family. Like, again, I say that sense in any serious democracy, you name it, Germany, France, the UK, anywhere, you would go, well, some heads are going to roll about that. And in Canada, we just know that they won't. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. The potential that was there uh, for John Tavares to have missed his, uh, his child's birth um, Sheba, a listener, sent me this. According to Science Direct, one of our favorite websites, uh, they did some research between 2000 and 2014. So, again, this wasn't like the 70s or the 80s or, um, or as you like to point out, the late 40s when I was born. Um, they, uh, they say an involved father's presence in the, quote, birthing room makes him feel that he's playing an active part in the process, encourages him to develop closer and more intimate links, leading to a consolidation of the family unit, in addition to being able to share the experience of the birth with the mother and contribute to her well-being, as in, show up. I agree with that. It's probably true. But you know what? I do know, I mean, I don't know if this was the situation with you, but it's I, I've heard and I've seen, it's hard for a father to bond with a newborn baby. It's, it, you don't feel like you're very helpful in the first no. couple months. And the Come on, has your husband you. never expressed that it's it's hard? To, what, once you have once once you once you have your second, he's he's more handling the first while you're handling the second, and That's then he's it. handling and, but, two while you're handling the third, and on and on. Yeah, but there comes a point. I'd say maybe around the six month mark when the baby's about six months old, where then they start getting a little more comfortable with dad, meaning that they're not dependent on. Like they smell mom's milk, they know mom's more with them than you know dad is. So they they have that dependency, but then they start forming that bond. And I know a lot of dads who get discouraged in the beginning because they're like, "This baby's just crying with me," because the baby wants milk, right? That's what it is. The baby uh, wants the mom's smell, the mom's comfort, the mom's voice. It's been hearing for nine months. Yes. Uh, so if you just hang in there, that bond does start to form. It, it does. No, it took. It takes a couple months. If you're a non-parent and you're listening out there, it does take that amount of time. And for all the appointments I had um, with specialists to try and develop my own milk, it never, like nothing, I thought one time, hey, you know I thought there swaddle. was one person that could, oh my That's goodness. That's your claim to fame, right? You swaddled And baby. change. I was, right. I was a pretty quick uh, changer. Like he, he never fell off the changing table. He never had, uh, almost one time, I think. Um, it just kind of rolled a little bit. But yeah, and here's something from the World Health Organization. Um, the benefits of labor companionship can also include shorter length of time in labor. That's really interesting. Decreased cesarean section. I don't know how it would do that. And more positive health indicators for babies. I can't believe the ba- the baby uh, arrives and then is just screaming nonstop, screaming. And I can't believe the baby's like, oh, thank God they're both here. No, oh, they, they don't a, think that. They no, don't. They don't think that. Different. No, you feel it. You know what? He, the baby can probably feel it in the mother. If she's calmer because the partner's there to sort of handle stuff to, like it, you know how it is. If you, I do. If, if you can't like after you give birth, it is the <laughs> worst moment of your life. You have this beautiful baby in front of you, but just to get up to go to the bathroom out of that hospital bed takes you a good fifteen minutes. 
I remember seeing a celebrity. So I mentioned my first baby was, was Super Bowl week in Detroit. And I remember seeing a celebrity at like seven in the morning show up and we're like, you won't believe I, I'm not like it was a big. Uh, OK, it was Ben Affleck. And I remember calling my wife at seven in the morning. I called her on the phone, like basically about 30 hours after she'd given birth to our son. And I go, you won't believe this. Ben Affleck, like I'm I'm Ben Affleck's 20. She's like, will you, this was probably an email. Would you leave me alone right now? Like I've got. Is she still in the hospital at this point? Yes. (laughs) Oh, come on, Brady. This is why it's so important for you to be there for the whole thing. Because then you won't understand what she's going through. Well, I was there for the whole thing, and I still called her 30 hours yeah, later and said, there's Ben something. Affleck. Maybe Matt Damon's here also. I got to go. Goodbye. See, if you would cut the cord, you would have been. Oh, you would, my have, you would have had a little bit of an inkling of what she went through. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Shiva, you saw something that was, I thought, fantastic. I used to read Ann Landers all the time in the London Free Press. It was fun. So fun I, yeah, to read. yeah, you'd get stuff. Free advice. Yeah. I mean, even in the 1980s, her photo looked like it was from like 1953, but that's okay. <laughs> like she looked like she could have been on like one of those uh, I Love Lucy shows as like a wacky neighbor or something. But you saw a Dear Abby that I have two sons, you have sons. And I, uh, holy cow, it was like an emotional, like, uh, like <laughs> where's the, turn on the waterworks. Tell me some of the Dear Abby letter. Okay, so this is a concern that I think more and more parents are feeling, especially in the digital age with TikTok, Snapchat. Uh, this is a mother who wrote into to the, this is in the, in the Sun, it's Dear Abby. Her son is 40 years old. Uh, he's always wanted a wife and a family. He hasn't been on a date since he was 15 years old. He lacks the self-confidence for trying. He's, he doesn't want to get rejected. Um, there's some issues there. I think he talks to women online. But the actual going out on the date part, it just hasn't happened. Uh, and he wants to get married. He wants to settle down. He wants to be a dad. And this is her concern that what can he do about this? Because his work keeps him really isolated. I don't know if he works from home or whatnot. Uh, but he says he's never had a real conversation with a woman. And I feel like this is going to be happening. This is going to be more and so more common. I'm so stressed about this idea. I know. I saw this and I actually thought oh. of you. <laughs> thought of thought of your life. No, um, oh. <laughs> I, but you and I talk about our sons, right? In yeah. A post-pandemic world and what it's going to look like and getting to know women and girls. It's it's tough. So what 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 stresses you about this? That I, I want a world where uh, men are are confident in approaching women in person at places and i worry we've got a lot of barriers up to prevent that i i I worry that we do and and yet i i i'm not giving i want to give women all the credit in the world i think they're smarter than men 99 times out of 100 and we already know from science that they mature faster so a 23 year old woman is not a 23 year old man 18 28 the like this is probably why husbands are oftentimes a few years older than who they marry but yeah, like I'm, I'm looking like when you and I were in our, let's say we were in, in university age and someone said, you know, I haven't been on a date in like eight months. That was weird. That was unless weird. It was, no, unless it was intentional. What's the longest? But what's intentional? Now, hold on. That makes me want to ask. What's the longest you've been single and not gone on a date, not spoken to a woman? A couple of days. Uh, no, I'm... Uh, <laughs> um, oh, boy. Not like six months. Like, honestly, 
I, I've never had a scenario. And, and was that your choice, or you were just really busy, or I think you make the case. It's no. a, I think you make the case. It is a little bit of both. I think you do make the case. Why would I start something new during April exams in university? If I take myself back to that that age, or there are times when you're like, I don't have a job right now. Like when when you're in your twenties, you're between part time jobs. So you're feeling down and out, like you can't. Take I think a, girl a little out. of that. I think there's a little okay. of that. Or people say, to them, but don't you think people do that all the time? They make they're like, well, I'd like to lose five or ten pounds first. I'd like to brag about a job that I now. No, have. life passes I, you by. Life passes you by. I know, but you want to put your best foot next... forward. You're not always, in, in, especially in your twenties, able to put your best foot. You sure aren't as a teenager. No, but I think that people. I just think it's different. For me, I think it was a solid eighteen months of being very intentional about mm. it. Like I was, I was in a great place. I had a great. I think I was in school. I was working. All of that, but I took eighteen months and said, "I'm not going to go on a single date." You know what I did? I actually mm. dated myself. That's what I did. I went, I started going to dinner alone. I started going to movies alone. I'm like, you know, how can I be? And I started to look, this is so corny. Why? This is like dear Abby itself. But like, dear Sheba, we, I wanted we can to, sponsor that. I segment. wanted to fall in love with myself first. And that's why no. it was intentional. So that six months of, you know, your exams and whatnot, I highly recommend it. But this guy's pushing 40 and he obviously wants to settle down. And he doesn't know how to. And I think that you and I are worried about our sons uh. and what's going to happen to them because oftentimes, it's you're, they're on their phones typing away, right? I, I know. Maybe this is isolated, and eventually, you know, norms prevail. Like the average age of marriage still in Canada is 31 for men, 29.6 for women. Um, so the age gap's usually an average of 1.4 years. Mm. Um, I'm encouraged by that, but this this is back in 2013. I may not want to see it in 2033, is I think what both of us are are saying here. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. The issues in the city themselves. And our next guest, I think, is getting some traction with his campaign. Ed Keenan wrote a lot of great things about him. Um, I think he's meeting people where they live and where they are. He is mayoral candidate and current city councilor Anthony Peruzza. Anthony, it's great to have you on. Thanks very much for making the time this morning. Oh, happy to be on, Greg. Thank you so much. Do you think I have that right? You, you're, you, you know, we've seen video of you uh, outside of stores. You're in parking lots. Have people generally been quite am- amenable that you, you're actually putting a bit of a human touch? You're not just doing it through the media. You're not just doing it um, uh, online. You're, you're actually having conversations with people who vote, who have everyday lives. No, exactly. I'm, uh, you know, committed to going out there and chatting with people and and seeing them, you know, talking to them about what's important to them. And the thing that's re- registering more than anything else is really the the issue of affordability. People are telling me uh, that they're really, really uh, struggling now. They're having a, a tough go of it. Everything is so expensive. Um, and you want to keep their property taxes down. There is sort of that that you know push and pull about property tax. You saw the mayor you know, dig in, breathe deeply, bite his lip and, and raise property taxes uh, last budget. Um, w- when you look back at that, I can't remember off the top of my head where you stood on that particular issue. But are you thinking, oh, Toronto's already really expensive, but the city also has this budget shortfall and, and we need money? No, absolutely. So I, I didn't support it. I didn't support mm-hmm. the last increase or the one before that. So over the past couple of years, We've increased property taxes, uh, made it harder for people, uh, homeowners and tenants alike, and uh, and we haven't caught up to our budget deficit at all. You know, we have a, a budget deficit of between uh, one and one point four billion dollars at the city. Uh, you know, and that's a situation that is illegal for us. We can't, uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, we can't end the year that way, so we're going to have to figure out how to deal with it. But but you're right, property taxes will not uh, catch up to, to our budget deficit. They don't catch up to inflation year in and year out. We'd have to raise property taxes now about 40% just to fill the deficit hole, and and that's not on. What we really need is a new deal with the provincial government. We currently collect $7.2 billion of property taxes in the city, and we only get to keep $5 billion of that. $2.2 billion uh, we write a check to the provincial government for. Uh, we can no longer do that. We can't afford to do that. That money needs to stay here, uh, you know, because this, this city needs a, a lot of repair work. The land transfer tax is often brought up in in Toronto, isn't it? And and I get that people who live in Toronto proper point to somebody that lives in, in the suburbs and say, we kind of pay twice for it. So when you look over the span of being a homeowner in Toronto, not just the property taxes. So if, if I'm paying nine grand and someone's paying four grand for a similar house in Toronto, they'll make the point that when they buy or sell, uh, they're getting dinged pretty heavily. And, and it all it all evens out in the long run. That's the perspective, isn't it? Well, well, you know what? So, so the land transfer tax really sort of, you know, um, you know, hits people when they're when they're moving on, or when they're, as you say, buying or selling. The property tax is a is an incongruent tax. It's not it's it's not a fair tax across the board. So everybody uh, has to pay it, irrespective of of you know whether you're on uh, you know surviving on a on a pension income or or whether you have you know uh, you know six figure incomes, right? So it's it, it's uniform and it doesn't it doesn't distinguish. So it's hard that way for a lot of people, uh, a lot of you know uh, people on fixed incomes, uh, a lot of folks uh, you know with disabilities, a lot of folks with uh, you know um, you know low paying jobs and and those kinds of things. But what what people don't understand is that the the property tax is also baked into rents. Uh, yeah, so yeah. So as re- and and in fact it's more it's disproportionate. So if you're living in a in a single family house, you're paying you know a, a percentage of the value of the property in, in property tax. If you're uh, renting, you're you're paying property tax one and a half times to two times greater than than a homeowner. It's just baked into your rent. So as the value of the building or the property goes up the landlord can pass those increases directly onto you. So it's, it's making it really, really difficult for people it, uh, paying rent as well. It is. Anthony Bruce is our guest just to reset 640 Toronto, Toronto today. He's running for mayor of the city of Toronto on June 26th. And, and by the way, Bruce yeah. is, is not going to raise taxes, fees, or TTC fares. I want to make that yeah. clear. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm getting to where we where we find money because I've asked some other candidates. I'm like, well, okay, what should we cut? I haven't loved a lot of the answers. I, when we had Olivia Chow in two weeks ago, I didn't get an answer at all. So what are we spending too much money on? What can we cut in the city budget, Anthony? You know what? There's always efficiencies. You can always find th- ways to do things better, more efficient, smarter. So little things, you know, like, uh, for example, how we re- remove snow and so on. But what's really gotten the city into trouble is bad deals over time. You know, we get into bad deals. You know, when, when the provincial government dropped housing on our lap, for example, in the late 90s, they didn't give us the resources. It's cost us somewhere between $15 billion and $20 billion to maintain and operate that housing without 
without the resource base. Smart truck. Then we get out into these one-off oddball deals where, you know, this thing comes around, you know, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on it. It never goes anywhere. We need to stop that. We need to stop just simply getting into, you know, bad deals uh, with, uh, with the other orders of government and with ourselves. Housing Now, for example, you know, it's on the books. They've crafted this housing policy that basically uh, where we declared and put up city land uh, for affordable housing back in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 2019. And today, 2023, you know, four years later, it hasn't produced a single, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. A single house. You know, and and more and more importantly, now we're getting into deals where there's these shifting sands because the economy changed, construction costs have uh, gone up exponentially. Where we're going to have to drop hundreds of millions of dollars of monies we don't have to create an affordability factor that really isn't affordable. It's really a misnomer. We're deceiving people by telling them that we're producing affordable housing through those kinds of programs. Those are bad deals. We gotta we gotta stop that because what happens is. It, it handcuffs us in the future, and then we can't fix potholes. No, but but some of those services, I think I think the people of Toronto are going to get that they make that those are exactly snow removal, potholes, garbage, bathrooms and parks. I I think there's a, a, an understanding. Nobody loves it, but there's an understanding, Anthony, that we we can't. This is an unsustainable way to run the city right now. Cuts are going to happen without more money from the feds and the province. Like these are obvious statements I'm making, aren't they? We can't we can't have a shortfall. You just said it. You're absolutely right. We cannot have a shortfall. So we need to um, do one of two things. Either we make uh, we we do those things as you're suggesting. I'm saying there's a better way. I'm saying that we currently pay 2.2 billion dollars in property taxes, which we just you know remit to the provincial government year in and year out. As a city, we've been asked to deal with far more than we were than we. Uh, than cities were expected to deal with, you know, issues of homelessness, housing. Now we're taking on a lion's share of mental health, greater share. Lion's share health. of Im- immigration we take on from the federal government, well, don't we? Well, well, you know what? It, it, exactly. All of those things. And mm-hmm. we can't uh, foist all of that stuff onto the property tax. It's just not big enough. It's not a big enough base. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more importantly, we don't even get all of it. We get a share of it. And we have to, and we pay it, but we remit it to the provincial government. That has to stop. We can't afford mm-hmm. to do that anymore. I think that that's a good place to start. That's what I'm basing my campaign on. I'm, be, I'm going to be asking Torontonians to, you know, to give me a mandate around that, around, you know, negotiating a better deal with the provincial government uh, so the city can get on with it and can get on with you know, as you say, doing some of the repair work, you yeah, know, getting those yeah. bottles fixed, you know, cleaning the parks and, yeah. and you know, uh, picking up the garbage. Well, I'd love to have a further conversation about how we do that, how we how we look at taxes. I've made the case many times that a lot of the major U.S. cities, they have their own taxes. L.A. does. Chicago does. New York does. They can raise money independently and they don't have to go and beg uh, with a with a grocery bag in hand, in essence, to, to the state or, or federal government. But I got to leave it there. Thanks so much for the time this morning. And I know we'll have more conversations as the month continues. Greg, really appreciate it. Have a good day. You got it. Anthony Peruz is running for mayor of Toronto wants your vote June 26th. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's really interesting what people call a crisis now. I think there are uh, crises that need to be discussed, but 
you can't have nine crises going on at the same time. I noticed this with some politicians. It's very chicken little, back and forth, yelling about this one day, yelling about this another day. A crisis is defined by Webster's Dictionary as an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. Now, we say there's a mental health crisis. I would agree macro scale, absolutely. But micro in your own house, maybe there isn't. Climate crisis. Well, that's an interesting one. Um, No, is something going to happen next week or a month from now or two months from now? Not necessarily, but you'll hear from people that say we're in a crisis. Here's where I don't think I draw a line. We're in a housing crisis. Now we're in a housing crisis in the GTA and across Ontario. It affects renters, landlords, buyers, sellers, people that have they won't even put their their toes into the real estate market for another decade are stressed thinking I'll never, ever have something that my parents had. And we were never, ever there before. Ron Butler is, of course, with Butler Mortgage and joins us right now. You had a great tweet thread about this. You're doing all the right things and getting all the right messages out to really alert us as to what needs to be done. And uh, and, and you saw a post of, uh, via Better Dwelling. 100,000 new Canadians in January, and, uh, and and the federal government has obviously a 500,000 target. And you mentioned you're pro-immigration, but we're just we're, we're not giving these people all the data they need and all the all the information they need, Ron, to set them up for success. Well, it's just the difficulty of runaway prices and runaway runaway rents. Um, you know, we're inviting people into the country, and once they get here, they look at costs and expenses that this just shocking. You know, a stat that jumps out to me is it now takes 22 years to save up a down payment to buy a home in uh, Southern Ontario. Like that's just out of whack. Uh, it, 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 you talk about crisis, you, it's well stated. Nobody, you can't save for 22 years to get a down payment. I mean, you're going to be in your forties. Uh, it, it, there's just some things here that don't make sense. No. And, and then you stop working, you know, in your sixties, maybe even if you run, run the clock to 70 and, um, how are you going to pay if you don't buy a home till you're 42 and you even have a 25 year mortgage, you're, you're, you're at it. You're like, you're up against it for the rest of your working life. And that's, that's not the quote unquote Canadian dream. That's not what our parents did. It sure isn't what our grandparents did. Well, it, it starts to fit into the definition of a crisis when you look at numbers that make it pretty clear that people will have to have mortgages into their 70s if they're buying yeah. a home in their late 30s. This stuff is nothing like it was 25 years ago. There's no relationship between how things went years ago and how things are going today. You're uh, right. So- Your second point of, uh, of this, and people can follow you on Twitter at Ron Mortgage Guy. we are also tricking newcomers who arrive to find unmanageable shelter prices and crazy cost of living. I'm going to ask this. Are we tricking them by design, or is this just, are we just all innocent bystanders selling, selling basically like, who wants to give them the bad news here, and no level of government does? Well, the government's addressing a central problem. Uh, We have to have new people come to Canada to take up certain jobs uh, to to manage the the social benefits we have into the future. We have a falling birth rate. We need people in the country. That's definitely an economic truth. But when you come here and you look at the house, the cost of a house, or you look at the rents, I mean. How about what's going on with the students? Because we're bringing in more students than ever before from other countries. Some of them are living in basements, eight students in a basement. There's just like a sheet hanging up to define the, the space you sleep in. I mean, that's a trick. 
You know, at the end of the day, that's a trick when you're inviting students to come to Canada in situations like that. And and they're already paying. Look, they're paying a ton more in, in international tuition. And yeah, some people, some parents that like to again, so many goods and services, as you know, and I know the value is what somebody will give you for it. We do this all the time with celebrities or why does this person get 20 million dollars for a movie? Because the studio thinks he or she is worth it. Homes aren't much different, are they really? At the end of the day, a home is worth what someone will pay for it. Exactly. And we have a strange situation today where there's almost no listings in the GTA. I mean, they're, they're up slightly in the last two weeks, but you, they were like 20-year lows. Here's what happens. We've got people who have low mortgage rates from a few years ago. They don't want to sell and have mm-hmm. to get a new, new higher rate mortgage. We've got people who are on 60-year amortization because they've got a variable rate where the payment doesn't increase. All those people say, look, we can't sell. We have to stay in this thing. We can't play with our mortgage situation. We need to stay here. Less listings equal less houses available to buy equal higher prices. Yeah. You mentioned Quebec as well. Um, has Quebec done something that Ontario should consider doing or should, should Ontario be as vocal as Quebec's been? I, I get why Ontario's more attractive potentially um, to new Canadians. I do. Um, but are, are they doing something that, that we should at least be considering having conversations about to, to make sure um, that they're, for lack of a better term, that their biggest city, Montreal or even Quebec City, aren't overrun because we want these people when they come here to have a shot at, at keeping their head above water financially? Well, the average price of a detached home in Quebec versus Ontario is half. They're, they're, they're co- the cost of their, of their detached homes is on average half of what ours is here. It's about 845 here, 413 there. That's an unbelievable difference. But Quebec plays a dangerous game because at the end of the day, if your population starts to shrink and you have an aging population, you're going to run into trouble. Why don't we address it in a more sensible way? Build, build, build in Ontario. I mean, that's the key. We have all kinds of land. This is a Big, big province. It's huge. Mm-hmm. We have all kinds of land. We have all kinds of possibilities. Just build, baby. Just build. But we're, uh, Ron Butler's joining us, by the way, from Butler Mortgage. Last thing before I go, and, and, and I want you to stretch this answer out, we're way behind. We're way behind. Are you seeing any sign that we are recognizing the house is on fire, that any of these mayoral candidates have a plan to get us building, that the premier's on board, the prime minister's on board? Don't we need everybody to recognize the emergency this is? If there's nowhere to live, there's nowhere to afford to live. Well, the truth is we have theater. We have people who make proposals. We have people who, candidates who suggest that they're going to do something. And then when they become, uh, they get, they win the election and they become that person, they don't do anything. We can go back to 2015. We have a federal uh, prime minister who has said that they're going to get 1.5 million extra homes built. That was back in 2015. We see where we are today. Uh, People, we have to understand that this stuff is hard. It takes action you have to get roll your sleeves up get your hands dirty you have to make sure that things happen on time we can't even get subways built within four years or eight years or who knows when we can't get things done on time so that's the trouble we have in this country right now do you think the federal government if it flipped over to a conservative government would lower the immigration targets just just because housing it it, it doesn't fit the numbers don't work I have absolutely no clue. I don't know what the I don't know what the policy is. They haven't enunciated it. But what I would hope is that any other government 
whether it's provincial or federal, would absolutely grasp the critical nature of this problem, the true crisis that it is, we're going to build less homes this year than we did last year. I know. I know. That's what's going on. And I I don't think 95% of the population uh, knows it. All right. Until we have Prime Minister Ron Butler, uh, we're stuck with... And interested? Well, thanks so <laughs> thanks so much for the time today. Let's keep having these conversations. I, th- I think you're you're an important voice here, and, and we gotta, like I said, start banging some pots and pans about these issues. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Uh, there's uh, Ron Butler from uh, Butler Mortgage. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty Toronto. All right, we're very happy to have uh, in the studio our guest and host of Let's Talk. You'll hear it between uh, seven and ten in the evening, and she also hosts uh, Toronto's newest news podcast today in to danny stover you're in studio with us is this early for you because you're you're now a creature of the evening i'm a lady of the evening a creature of the evening i have a terrible habit of sitting on my phone when i wake up so i'm up early like being on your phone you're not waking up on it you don't know like it's not getting lost in the sheets my no that happens sometimes with my wife and i and we're like what kind of romantic life will we ever have again if our phones are, are closer than we are it's, you it's know, terrible. in the bed. I know it's a terrible habit. I can feel, you know, the ick of it all. But so, so mm. to answer your question, I had to, I got up at the same time, but I was out of bed a little earlier than normal. You had, I was listening to you last night um, on Let's Talk. You had some great takes on recess and phys ed. <laughs> you did. Recess was awesome. Yeah. And, and as you, you put it so brilliantly, recess is about organizing time in your day to exercise, which physical health benefits your mental health every single day of the week. And then we get to high school, you know, in high school, unless you take phys ed, you're just kind of standing around talking all the time. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like, like cardio with high school, unless you're in phys ed or playing a sport. Well, I was thinking about, that was for the, the mental health literacy. And I was thinking about, you know, how much I learned about mental health in school and where I would have learned that unintentionally, because it wasn't intentional growing up for me. And so I I was thinking about the kids who were like, my favorite subject is recess. And I was like, we laugh at that. But Mm -hmm. really, you're right. It does teach you to prioritize your time. It teaches you to prioritize rest, maybe have a snack, reset. And I was like, here we are making fun of kids saying recess is their favorite. They're probably thought leaders right now. You got it. I got to look at European schools and see if phys ed is mandatory for longer. It's only mandatory for one year in high school. Like that's my memory of it. And I actually dropped it in ninth grade because I was active in playing sports. And so I didn't find it. It made me tired. I took French instead because my sports was happening outside. Also, I stunk at health. It's not that I didn't sort of know what the facts of life were. But I was like, I was bad at the diagrams and everything. You got male diagrams, female diagrams. And I'm like, ah. But that's the stuff I you should have learned. It's I not guess. the running in a circle. It's the. <laughs> I'm waiting for that lack of information to end up costing me. But I'm here now. And I think. You can I still learn. You can still learn. Your new podcast this week has a conversation with somebody uh, everybody knows. He had a remarkable star turn on The Last of Us recently. He had one amazing <laughs> oh my episode. God. Mine, that show was mind blowing, period, but that might have been the most mind blowing episode because it kind of paused the, the storyline of the Pedro Pascal character and and I forget her name, the girl. And it focused on two men, but you're talking with Nick Offerman, who people know from Parks and Rec, stand up. Yeah. Uh, incredibly funny person and, and incredibly deep person as well. She had a conversation with him on the latest podcast. It was it was kind of surreal, like I because you know, he has such an iconic voice. And so I'm sitting in my you know my quote unquote office, which is in my house, uh, and I I hear this voice come across, 
And it was just like, oh my gosh, it's you. And the, the conversation went exactly how you'd imagine talking to him. He's a slow talker. He's very thoughtful. Um, we talked about, there was moments where I was like, I feel like I'm talking to a friend. We talk about bike infrastructure in LA, in New York, in Toronto. We talk about Peterborough. Um, even at the end, I was like, I want to respect your time. I know you've got 15, 20 minutes. And he's like, well... If you have more questions, I've got a little more time. And I was like, what is happening? Are we friends now? Uh, so it was a really cool conversation. And uh, yeah, we talked about The Last of Us. That episode destroyed me. Of course it did. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think about it constantly. I talk about it. I don't need an excuse to talk about it. So that was interesting that uh, he was on the show and he said that he got the script and he was like, wow, it's a month of filming. It's in Calgary. Um, I don't, we've got stuff going on. I don't know if I can take a month off. And his wife is Megan Mullally, obviously. And yeah. she was like, she Will read and Grace, the script. big star, right? She was like, you have to do this. So don't worry about all the stuff, the birthday parties, this, the functions we've got, I'll let him know. And he went and he filmed, um, uh, that episode. And I asked if he'd watched it, if it meant as much to him as it did to maybe someone like me. And he was like, well, I just watched it and cringed because I just wanted to make sure I got it out of everyone's way. Um, and he talked about Gordon Lightfoot with you as well. That what was the, weird. What are the odds of that? Okay, so that just a little context. Yeah. I have a, a big, <laughs> I have a big heart on for for uh, you shipwrecks. You can say that at some morning, right? <laughs> I didn't know how else to say you it. You can say the word uh, shipwrecks. <laughs> I know you were worried about saying shipwrecks, but yes, you My can say wrecks. shipwrecks. Uh, so I, I so I love the Edmund Fitzgerald. I love the Titanic. You know, when I when I say love, obviously respect. Um, but I, I was really interested in those as a kid. Yeah, you're not pro-tragedy, Danny. No. I'm not mis- I'm not mis- <laughs> uh, identifying you as a pro-tragedist. Uh, right. But uh, he, he just brought it up. He's like, oh, yeah, I was at the Canoe Museum in Peterborough, which I know. He name-dropped a few people. And he's like, I have this song about the Peterborough Canoe Museum to the tune of <laughs> the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And uh, this was last week. So before we heard of Gordon Lightfoot. And, and I was just, you can hear me in the podcast kind of squeal with delight <laughs> when mm-hmm. he mentions this. Um, because I had it in my notes to bring up the Canoe Museum, and he goes and brings up the Edmund Fitzgerald, and so uh, I just felt like <laughs> it just felt an interesting conversation where the, these little uh, things were being hit on, and it was like, oh wow, little connections, little connections. And then this week, I was like, wow, what an interesting connection to have made. We've got Gordon Lightfoot, the Edmund Fitzgerald. I'm centering myself completely in all of this. Uh, a conversation with Nick Offerman that was really awesome. You start this podcast when January, early February. Ooh, it was February. Yeah. And the planning was in it towards the end of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. But you're probably thinking maybe a quieter time in Toronto politics. There's important <laughs> issues. There's important conversations. We need this. We need that. We get we, the, like the city is broke. What you don't anticipate starting today in T.O. is a mayoral election that's kind of kind of star studded. Like there's big names that didn't run against John Tory in the fall because we all knew who would win. You're probably sensing I find 905ers, to use that phrase, are incredibly invested in this because they all care about the city so much. We feel like a lot of the decisions we make in the next six months are going to impact us the next six years. Yeah, it's I'm ex- this is exciting. And you're, and you're right. It's uh, the podcast came out, I want to say, the 20 the week of the 21st. Uh, Tori stepped down, obviously, I think it was the 10th of February, that Friday night. We mm-hmm. all remember so mm-hmm. well. Um And I was like salivating because I'm like, well, we've got a Toronto focused podcast coming out just as our mayor stepping down for whatever. And uh, we've got this huge by-election that's that I feel is kind of a a, an incredible opportunity to get some stuff done. Um, And and you're right. Star studded. Like, what are we at? Sixty five. I'm just. Well, there aren't sixty five stars, but it is. (laughs) 
we can't we can't make it like the bachelor and start to, like, don't g- discount giving... those little guys down the list because they're fun I don't know. can we just give eight roses out and and just have those eight people come back uh for the for the next week or I so i want to do it top model style where i have photos in my hand <laughs> you all you also you got to you know drill down on some important issues um like the um the murder of of, of young gabriel mm. uh, hard topics but you're also uh, I look at what we do, like nine minute segment, nine minute segment, ten minute segment. You, you can kind of string some things together. You get to flesh things out a little bit. Is that is that an enjoyable aspect of it? Uh, depends on the day you ask me. Yeah, uh, if it's an enjoyable aspect, I'm loving the process, but it is a little bit weird because the podcast comes out on Wednesday. I'm thinking about it. I'm already thinking about next week's pod, so I feel like there are clues this week that'll kind of lead me to what the topic will be next week. And so far, so good. So yeah. far, I've been pretty on with things that are happening the week of that I've kind of set the stage for the week in advance. And it's helpful that you guys are having these nine-minute conversations because I pull audio <laughs> from all your shows. Yeah, yeah. It is It is a, it's a tough thing to prepare for because um, there's stuff we think we're doing at 3 o'clock and then the next morning comes and you're like, a school board did this. And then yeah. that happened. And um, yeah, it, it's there's so much uh, so much more I want to get into, but we're out of time. Please come back in more often. Yeah. Come in earlier more often, which is great. I'll do it. Despite the rush hour traffic. And how can people find Today in T.O.? Uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, just search Today in T.O. If you're having any trouble at all, you can put in my name, Danny Stover. Um, and yeah, you can find it. I'll tweet it today. I'll post it on Instagram if you want to. Look for me there. Well, it's going great. And Let's Talk uh, encapsulates the uh, the day, and it's a lot of fun, too. And yeah. I'm so glad it's going great. Thank you. Danny Stover in with us. 911. 911. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh, my God. This ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry. Hurry. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.